after I qualified, I actually had you, Kamala. Hello and welcome to the One Team Gov Show, a podcast featuring conversations with awesome people doing interesting stuff in the public sector. We appreciate you taking the time to join us and we've got an amazing interview we know you're going to love. My name is Kylie. And I'm Kamala and today we're talking with Halcyon Hamilton, former senior service manager of CAFCAS in Essex and who also happens to be my mum. Welcome mum. Hello darling, hello Kamala, hello Kylie. So we thought we'd have you on for a bit of a Mother's Day special and we were trying to interview you last week but we had a bit of a dodgy internet connection. Can you tell us what you were up to? Um, Last week I was visiting France um, in the Pyrenees um, because your sister and my other daughter Liberty is living there at the moment on a sheep farm. And what did you get up to on the sheep farm? Oh, lots of things. I um, I improved my skills at milking sheep and watched cheese being made and fed the sheep and um, had some lovely times with the French family there. So that was super. Sounds very wholesome. It was. <laughs> Good. All right. Um, so Halcyon, we know you're retired after serving for 40 years, making you probably one of the longest serving civil servants we've had on the show. And one of the things we're always interested in is how people get started in public service. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yes, of course I can. When I was at school, um, I did work experience in a local group for people with cerebral palsy. That was part of the school curriculum. And at weekends, I worked in a school for children with disabilities on Saturday and Sunday afternoons. And I really enjoyed both those things. So having decided that that was the type of work that I wanted to to do, I then went to um, Castle Priory College in Oxfordshire, which was a beautiful house on the River Thames, um, where I did a residential course working with children with disabilities um, for 18 months. So that's my sort of lead into my career in social work, really. That sounds like exactly the kind of mission that would inspire someone to work in public service. And we were thinking that area of social work is now anyway, notoriously hard to recruit people into. Yes. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it's quite difficult to recruit in social work anyway. It's changed and lots of people with disabilities are now cared for at home or cared for at home by carers. So, um, I suppose in a fieldwork sense, it is still quite, it's a very interesting job, but maybe it's not the same as when I was, I was first practising as as a social worker in the field. And do you think there are any major differences as to when you started and what social work's like now? Oh my goodness, yes, of course, there's massive differences. So certainly the technology in social work has changed considerably. Did you see any of that for yourself? Oh, of course, yes. I can remember um, after I had Kamala's sister going back to work and there was a computer on my desk and I was absolutely overwhelmed by it because it had been delivered in my absence and I hadn't really used a computer before in in a work sense. Prior to that, um, my reports were typed by a secretary 
and handwritten by myself. So there have been some significant, significant changes over the years. Absolutely. And that must have really changed the pressures in the job and the amount of time that people spend doing that kind of note taking or note writing, do you think? That's right, because, um, I mean, for example, one of the um, things that that still remains with me is that previously, if you went to visit somebody or had had a family into the office, for example, for an interview, you would take handwritten notes. But increasingly, it's all done straight onto a laptop now and recorded on the electronic file. So just one of the examples are that um, when work was allocated, it was a paper file with somebody's name on the side. Um, by the time I left, we had a complete system, electronic system, where all files were dealt with electronically, transferred electronically, recorded electronically. And that was um, the same with our with our partners as well. Thinking about how the judiciary, my, my, my latter work was not with people with disabilities. For, for 27 years, I worked in the family courts. And um, I saw enormous changes there, of course, with judges having electronic files and electronic files being used by the barristers and by solicitors. So that was a significant difference. And, and judges would type their judgments electronically rather than write them up and get them, get them trans- transcribed. Definitely. That feels like a real shift over the recent years. and kind of thinking away from technology so one of the specific differences working in social work is that it involves of course going into people's houses and into environments that you can't always control were there any tricky situations you got into that you could share with us um I don't know about tricky situations I suppose I can think of a few I can remember going to visit a family um, where the father had quite significant mental health problems and coming out of the home and thinking, my skirt's very wet. And I couldn't quite work out what I'd been sitting on, but it was so wet I actually had to take it off in the car and put my cardigan over my lap. So um, I later learned that he had a, a sort of um, a tendency to flick water all the time. And also there were two little kittens in the house, and I suspect they, they added to the wetness. Wow, that is quite a story. A, mem- a memorable one, yes. A real memorable one. That was one that sticks out. So you talked about earlier, Mum, about working in the family courts, and that's what you went on to after working in social work. And when I was younger, I remember having to explain uh, – that both my parents worked, uh, which was always fun. And I used to say my mum worked for an organisation called CAFCAS. Can you explain what CAFCAS was, uh, how it came about and how you got involved? Yes, of course I can. I suppose let me let me go back a couple of steps. After qualifying as a social worker, I was very lucky during my training to be sponsored by the probation service. So I didn't have to have a grant or anything. They sponsored me. And part of the arrangement by being sponsored was that after you qualified, you went to work for probation for a period. So after I qualified, I actually had you, Kamala, and I went to work for the local authority, not probation. But after about 18 months, I decided that I needed to go and work for the probation service because I I owed them that. 
Um, and so I went to work in probation. And part of the probation service was the family court service. It was a complete mismatch of of skills. Um, you know, on one hand, people were working with offenders and young offenders and people in prison. And another part of the organisation was working with very vulnerable families and children. And it was um, two very different types. So in 2001, CAFCAS was formed where all the family court services, and I think there are about 124 in all, up and down the country, were joined together under um, under an organisation called CAFCAS, which was a non departmental government body so over the years we were at one point we were in the education department um, but but ultimately um, the organization comes under the umbrella of the the ministry of justice so I must say the first four or five years it was quite a difficult place to work because we were all trying to find you know, new policies together, new procedures together to try and get a a tight organisation when you've got everybody did something slightly differently before. But over time, that was established. So it was a very good organisation to work for. Yeah, that must have been really interesting. And what was your sort of day to day life like? What do Kafka's workers actually do day to day? Well, when I was a practitioner, I suppose one day a week would be spent in court. And that was in the days when we were working with families who were separating. And so we would spend an hour with the parents together and their solicitors to try and resolve some of the issues or narrow narrow down the issues um, that were bringing them to court. And I must say that a lot of parents separate And what we were dealing with was probably the 2% of parents who just couldn't sort things out for their children. So we had a sort of role which was multifaceted in a way. Part of us was trying to draw people together in the interests of their children, try and find some compromise about things. But ultimately, if they couldn't agree, then we had to write a report for the court, which gave very clear recommendations as to what was going to be in the best interest of the children. So that was a difficult role. Obviously, a significant part of that was talking to children, interviewing children, gaining information of children in a, in a lot of different ways, and also really being quite mindful that some children were coached to say what, what their parents wanted them to say to us. I can always remember... One um, one little boy, when asked a question, said, I don't know, my mum's not told me the answer to that question. So he'd clearly been quite coached by his mother before he came to be interviewed by us. So that was part of the role. Clearly writing reports was another part of the role. Um, going to give evidence in court if the, if the matter went to a court hearing before a judge or some magistrates we would go and have to give evidence under oath to the court. So that was another part of the role, making sure our recording was always up to date. Um, as you know, people can ask for subject access requests so they could they could request your recording from the file. So that was a very important thing. 
and also interacting with other agencies that might be involved with children. Often, in in our cases, there was domestic abuse, so the police might have been involved, the local authority might have been involved, other sort of charities might have been involved. So we would always do checks with other agencies and talk about things with other agencies before making recommendations. You obviously rose up the ranks and became a manager in Kafkas, uh, which meant the buck really stopped with you. And I think the big difference about being a manager in those circumstances are that children's welfare is at stake. What do you think makes a good leader and a manager in those high-pressure situations? Um, I think you've got to be a good role model and you've got to love the work you do. Any gaps in your energy and drive in the work are quickly spotted by the team. Ultimately, I had a team of about 20 children's guardians. So being positive, being a good role model, knowing what the sort of immediate agenda is and what the wider agenda is, keeping your eye on the horizon all the time is really important. And looking down on things as well, you know, just have a look, stand in the balcony and look at what's happening in the team and understanding what what's going on. Um, setting clear targets, that was always um, one of the things we had to concentrate on because, of course, Ofsted inspect um, social work agencies and schools in, in the UK and they could do unannounced inspections. So it was always very um, important to set targets for the quality of work. And I think another thing that always helped me was being interested in my staff and understanding them, knowing about them and taking the time just to check that things were okay. And if they weren't okay, making sure that they got the support that they needed. Um, That might have been a little bit of work relief. It might have been some counselling. It might have been just saying to them, maybe you need to have a couple of days at home to get get some strength back. But yes, and praising staff as well, because staff are doing a very, very difficult job. It's relentless. The number of um, proceedings being issued in England went up rather than down at one point. And uh, so people are working under quite a lot of pressure. That's excellent advice. And I think something quite common to the people that we speak to on the show is really, like you said, about loving their work and being able to keep the energy up because they're so positive. So that's great to hear. So moving on, you, you've recently retired, but Kamala tells me that you haven't really retired and you recently got appointed as a tribunal member. That's right, yes. What's that like? And do you have to wear one of those funny wigs? No, unfortunately not. It's it's. Um, I'm working um, at, as a tribunal member for people um, who are applying for personal independence payments in England. And that's a benefit you can get if you've got some difficulties or disabilities. And I'm dealing with the cases where the disability hasn't been accepted as meeting the criteria or the threshold for for the benefit, then people can appeal. And as part of the appeal process, they can attend a tribunal. So I sit at a tribunal with um, a judge and a doctor 
and I'm the disability qualified tribunal member because obviously in my career I've had an awful lot of experience with people with disabilities (laughs) and so we sit and we listen to maybe five cases a day where they're called the appellant um, attends the tribunal and it is a bit like a court in that we sit behind a desk together and we ask questions, but it's much, much less formal than a court. So we'll discuss a case um, before the, the person comes in and then we'll listen to their evidence and then we make findings of fact and then we let the person know, usually straight away, whether or not we've we've um, allowed their appeal and whether the decisions change, so that's quite rewarding. I'm really enjoying it. It is actually called a judicial appointment, so there was a fairly long selection process with a lot of um, interviews and tests and things. But now I'm doing it. I'm enjoying it enormously. So it's only um, maybe six or seven days a month at the moment, which is fine. That's just just right for me. It's interesting that I've come a full circle in my career, that I started my career working with people with disabilities and having done a lot of other things, I'm now doing the same. So that's good. Yeah, that's that's really nice symmetry. And it sounds like you have so much valuable experience to add to a role like that. I think it's it's great to hear that the judiciary is taking on people with that kind of experience that's, that's very relevant. So that's awesome. And I've heard you also work as a member of the Soar Optimists. It's not work. That's a group I belong to. Okay. Um, And is that a secret society or can anyone join? (laughs) No, it's not. I think it's really unfortunate. It's got such an unusual name, isn't it? But seroptimism is about, seroptimism means sort of what's best for women. So um, it's a completely international organisation which has um, a seat at the United Nations. So in the United Nations, and we're in Colchester having our little meetings and and doing as much as we can. So it's an international organisation and the sort of um, the main aim of the organisation is to enable and empower and educate young women internationally. So we tend to do a lot of work around that. What are some of the current focuses of the Seroptimists? Locally, I can tell you locally, um, we've been concerned about some of the Syrian refugees who've arrived in Colchester some of which are young women who have had to suddenly leave university in Syria. So we've been raising money to help them fund the university English exam that they need so that they can continue their studies here. So that's been very good. That sounds like a great way to to keep motivated and keep in the community of women who are really pushing ahead with these kinds of issues. And on a bit of a lighter note, um, I also heard that you serve on what Kamala described as the SOS bus in Colchester. What, what's that? And have you got any funny stories? <laughs> well, the, the SOS bus is a, a, a single-decker bus. 
Um, and I'll describe it to you. It's got a little kitchen area at the front behind the driver. And then it's got a bench area. And then at the back of the bus, there's a medical area. So there's a, a medical room with a stretcher and things. And the bus is in town on Friday and Saturday nights each week. And it's there really to support young people or any person in Colchester who's finds themselves in difficulties. So on the bus will be a team leader and maybe six volunteers, all of us in our lovely uniforms. And our job is to respond to anybody in need. So just to give you a little bit more information, um, Colchester is covered by CCTV cameras. And there's also, so there's a CCTV unit in Colchester. There's also the nightclubs all have a bouncer and they're all wired up together. So CCTV can talk to the bouncers. CCTV talks to the bus. The bouncers can talk to the bus, the police, etc., etc. So it feels like the conversation is all about what's going on in Colchester, what's happening underneath Colchester tonight. <clears throat> so if, for example, we receive a call from um, one of the nightclubs to say, we've got a young woman, she's collapsed in the toilet, we have got a minibus as well as a big bus and we in twos will go and try and rescue her and bring her back to the bus and to see what we can do to help. Also on the bus every every night is a paramedic. So people who fall over and bump their heads or are really not feeling well or maybe have taken some sort of drug that's having a negative effect on them, they can be treated on the bus. And what it does is it saves our... Uh, accidents and emergency department something like half a million pounds a year because we intercept rather than people being taken if they're very drunk you know often people would end up in accidents and emergency just thinking of a recent example a young woman who came onto the bus was really very very unwell her friend was with her and we, were, we, we knew she couldn't get a taxi home because if she'd been sick in a taxi, that would have caused more difficulties for her. And so what we were able to do was they both got into the minibus and we drove her home in the minibus. She didn't live very far away. But the nice thing is sometimes the following week or a couple of weeks later, somebody will come back and say, you really helped me. Thank you. And the other thing we can do, which is very nice, is when friends are being good friends, actually reinforcing that and saying, you know, you're doing a really good job with your friend and well done for looking after him or her. So the other thing the bus does is that we have a good supply of flip flops because sometimes young women go out to town in inappropriate shoes and the feet are killing them. So the bus is well known for its flip flops. And we also have things like lollipops, because if you give somebody who's a little bit stressed a lollipop, it's a bit of sugar, it's something to do, it's quite calming. Um, yes, yeah, so so it's uh, it's a great initiative, I think. Um, I like to feel I'm doing safe. I'm doing some safeguarding of young women in Colchester by being on the bus and being there to help them. And yes, I'm really enjoying it. Definitely. That's that's such a valuable role that you can play in that community. And on less of a serious note, if I had had that in my local area when I was in my 20s, that would have been amazing. I would have been, I would have been using the bus all the time to take me home. <laughs>
And some people just come to visit us and come and say hello. And on a sadder note, sometimes people, when they've been drinking, get a bit morose and come and say, you know, they're feeling a bit suicidal or things like that. So we can signpost people. Obviously, we're, we're always looking to keep people safe. You must have a very good listening ear and a lot of patience when people can be a, a little bit uh, annoying. <laughs> yeah, but that's how it is. Yeah, I never knew that it was linked up with the police and all the bouncers. You must have some of the best gossip in Colchester, Mum. Now I know. <laughs> no, it is really interesting. And, and it's so good because, you know, CCTV can say we can see a young girl on her own. She's sitting on the pavement and people are walking past her. But we can actually go out and and talk to her and find her friends or, you know, just help in any way we can, really. Fab. So as I let you know, at the end of the show, we always ask our guests for some recommendations. And uh, I know that you don't really listen to podcasts apart from this one, obviously, or um, or use social media too much outside of our family. So I just thought we'd ask for a recommendation of a book that you found interesting. Okay. Well, my book is um, its a very readable, unforgettable book, and it's called The Light Between Oceans by M.L. Steadman. And a very good friend sent it to me and said, you must read this. And it's a beautiful story. It's um, not surprisingly touched me because it's, it's about a child. And it highlights so clearly the emotions about somebody who's lost a child somebody who's found a child and somebody who's searching for a child and reunification. And all those themes were a really big part of my working career. You know, people might lose their children in care proceedings and understanding the kind of pain of that loss. Finding a child, people may adopt a child or have a surrogate child and how wonderful that is for them. Searching for your child, parents looking for children post-adoption, you know, when they're 18, you know, to try and make touch with that child who's been out of their lives. And reunification, children going home to their parents in good circumstances or children finding a parent or a parent finding a young person and how important that is. So although it's a very different story to that, and I would urge people to read it, it does bring all those sort of facets into place really yes it's like a, a thread that runs through the story which I really enjoyed yeah that's such a good loop back to all the things we've talked about as well in terms of your career uh, so very good recommendation and then the other thing we asked our guests to do is to recommend a charity or a social enterprise to support okay well, next, well, from next month, actually, I'm going to be president of our local Soroptimist group. And part of my role in that is to choose a charity or choose a local charity or a national charity or an international charity to support. I know people get quite fed up with being asked for money all the time. And so I wanted a sort of inclusive type of project to do next year. And um, <clears throat> what I've chosen is a, a charity where 
you and a group pack a, a box to be used in emergencies. So it's like an emergency aid box. So in earthquakes or floods or tsunamis or whatever, these boxes can be sent to families. And what the box contains is a whole range of things, things to keep them safe, toys, etc., etc., um, things like clothes pegs, all sorts of different things. And it will filter water for the family and give them litres and litres and litres of clean water, which will keep them safe. And I think that's really, really important um, because we know children get very ill and they get diseased. And so it feels like we're safeguarding children, <clears throat> but it's quite an inclusive project. So what I'm planning to do is link with um, a group of girl guides locally and maybe a school, one of the local girls' schools, and ask them to contribute towards our box. And if everybody gives something, it'll be an enormous collaborative project which will aid other people in you know, dire circumstances at some point in the future. So that's that's what I'm going to recommend. Brilliant. Uh, definitely something that we should support. So that's it from us, Halcyon. Thank you so much. We got a really good insight into the different career paths in public service. And what I loved was your, the stories from the front line of what are really essential local services that, that we have in this country. So thank you. And I can easily see why Kamala was inspired to enter public service for herself. Yeah, thanks, Mum. You set an incredibly high bar. <laughs> <laughs> You're fine, darling. You're doing fine. <laughs> Hope you continue to enjoy your very active retirement. Yes, thank you very much indeed. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. Okay, thank you and goodbye. So Kamala, that was hands down the most I have laughed off microphone in ages on this show. That was so funny. How did you find it interviewing your mom? Yeah, it was really fun, hey. I, what I love about mum is that she's so accomplished and yet she's still such a mum and such a my mum. And that really came across during the interview. Like true story, one of the reasons that I was really inspired to start, start thinking about podcasting was because mum came to visit me in, in New Zealand and we went out for dinner and uh, I've been telling her about working in government and digital and she said, oh, technology has really changed my sector and told me the story about how basically parents were spying on each other using these tiny cameras sewn into children's pencil cases. And I just thought, oh my God, I really miss having these conversations uh, with people doing interesting things in the public sector. True story and interesting loop back. What did you think? Yeah, absolutely. It was such a good idea, I think, to to choose this Mother's Day theme. And your mum couldn't have been more perfect in terms of fitting our brief of being an awesome and interesting public servant. It was aside to being a really excellent insight into your relationship. I mean, I wish we had caught on camera uh, or on the microphone, all of the discussion that happened offline, which was just brilliant. And maybe I'll tell our listeners about that towards the end. All of the discussion we had just showed me what an incredibly calm and professional and committed public servant she is. It just came through so strongly in all of her answers. 
right through from when she started in social work and working in Kafkas through to her work with the judiciary now. And what I loved about it was that her answers, especially around things like leadership, were just so inspirational, but in a very understated way that made me think about my own leadership style in a way that's so focused on the people around you. And she talked a lot about things like energy and positivity. And that's something that we are desperately needing in public service right now. And it was so great to hear someone who's had such a long career in public service and is still as motivated and as passionate as she is. How was it for you listening back to her reflections on her time in work, especially when you were younger? Yeah, it was so interesting. And I think what I've always felt is that there's such a sharp contrast often between doing work in the sector that we work in, so IT and digital, and doing work very much on the front line. And that really came through in some of the stories she told uh, about working with uh, children. And even that story she told about how she went around that guy's house and then found out he'd been flicking water at her. I mean, that is just not something that you would hear down the pub in Whitehall ever. So I really appreciated those insights. What did you think? Definitely. And what was really excellent to hear was that she's moved from, you know, a, a kind of entry level working grade in in the sector that she was in and moved right up through the ranks to, to senior management. And often I wonder whether we're lacking some of those very grounded uh, skills of people who are out in the real world at the front line into those more senior management levels. And it was just a great example of someone who has clearly demonstrated such excellence and such professionalism, even in really difficult circumstances. We all know that social work is is one of the most challenging frontline services that you can possibly work in. And the fact that she'd managed to grow her career through that and clearly become really well respected and into kind of the ranks of someone who is leading an organization was just brilliant. I was so inspired by that story. It was also great to hear that she's, even in her retirement, continuing to work in places like the judiciary. What did you reckon to that answer? Yeah, it's wild how she's retired but not really retired. I think she genuinely does more stuff in her retirement than I do in my actual job. Yeah, the fact that she uh, went through this really difficult process to go and continue to work in the public service, taking her skills to the tribunal and having to sit in a tribunal and make these really difficult decisions as part of, you know, her retirement, I I find really inspirational. And I just also love the fact that whilst it's now really cool for people to talk and and tweet and speak on women's rights, mum really dedicates her time to that as well. Like, I didn't know that she was helping out women who were Syrian refugees, or the work that she did to at the SOS bus. So that was really news to me and just also sounded actually quite exciting. Definitely. On the judiciary stuff, I was just reflecting that, as you said, it was those are really difficult decisions that have to be made. But I, as I said in the interview, I can't think of anyone who would be more qualified for that kind of work. And it's great that we have someone like that who is able to still contribute in a way that's, you know, not a full-time job, but that is so meaningful and so impactful to those kinds of hearings, which are incredibly difficult decisions to make. And yeah, some of the the other more sort of lighthearted stuff that we spoke about, even with the Seroptimists and feminism, I looked that up immediately. And 
thought, as you did, I think that it was a bit of a Mason secret society, but they look like they're doing some absolutely brilliant work. So that's definitely one that I'm going to personally look into. And from your experiences in Colchester, what do you reckon to the work on the SOS bus? Now, people who know me will know that I'm not someone who wears inappropriate shoes out ever. Uh, High heels are the devil. But I really remember those flip-flops hanging around town and the fact that the people on the SOS bus hand out water. But I never knew the types of interventions that they do spotting vulnerable young women on CCTV and going to pick them up and take them home. It made this sound incredibly exciting, but also really useful work. And once again, saving the frontline uh, public sector in terms of accident and emergency, loads of time and loads of money so that they can dedicate that to other emergencies. Definitely. And as I said in the interview, I don't know how people have the patience to do something like that, because... I know as someone who has had a fair few drinks in the past that I can be really annoying and uh, someone who's able to look at a situation like that and make sure that they're, you know, reassuring their friends that their friends are doing a good job and reassuring the person who's having a morose moment that everything will be okay. I just would love to have a service like that in in every town centre. So hopefully this will spread the word and we can have more SOS buses around the country and around the globe. Absolutely. And one of the parting gifts that my mum gave us, unfortunately not recorded, was at the end of the interview, she said, darling, don't forget it's Mother's Day on Sunday. So just want to remind all of our listeners that it is Mother's Day on Sunday. Get those flowers ready. Whether that's you or a very helpful partner like you have, Kamala. Yeah, thanks to my wife, Caitlin. (laughs) That was brilliant. And that's it from the One Team Gov Show. If you enjoyed this episode, you can download, listen and subscribe through all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, Pocket Casts, Blubbery, Spreaker, Acast, Radio Public, Player FM, Overcast and Podbean. We're also available on Amazon Alexa. See you next time. See you next time.